Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On today's case, I'm going to need everyone to listen closely because there is a chance that you may be able to bring precious hope home for the holidays. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime In It. On the show today, I have Fatima, also known as Disturbing the Fleece. She is a wonderfully talented knitwear designer. She has these beautiful designs on Ravelry. I'm going to put all of her links and information in the show notes so that way you may go and enjoy her beautiful works of art. On February 28th, 1983, two men were wandering through an abandoned house at 5635 Clemens Avenue in St. Louis, Missouri. There are two different stories floating around about why these men were there. Officially, they told police they were looking for metal to fix their car. But at the time, the community was told that they were scrappers and that they were just looking for metal piping. At the time, it was not uncommon for members of the community to sell scrap metal that was recovered from these old Victorian buildings. And whatever the true reason was, the two men were not associated with the house or property in any way. And they made their way into the cellar looking for metal. It was dark down there and they couldn't see much until one of the men went to light his cigarette. In the flash of the flickering light, they witnessed a crime scene that would stick with them for the rest of their life. In the flickering light, the men found the body of a girl. She was laying on her stomach with her hands tied behind her back with red and white nylon rope. She wore a light yellow v-neck collegiate sweater with nothing else. And when I say collegiate, I mean the style. It was not associated with any college. It was just one of those very classic v-neck sweaters with like with a touch of striping i'm gonna put a photo of a similar sweater i will not post the actual sweater like a preppy sweater yes 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 and the body of this girl was not complete as her head and most of her neck were missing the two men did exactly what they are supposed to do and they called the police immediately you never forget seeing something like that oh my goodness When police arrived at the scene, they were expecting to find a woman, most likely a prostitute, as at this time, they were seeing cases where prostitutes were being slain. And remember, guys, this is the 80s. And in a lot of these cases, I found that there's a lot of slain black women. And a lot of the times they just assume they are prostitutes or drug addicts. Could we use the term sex worker instead of prostitute? Yes. Oh, crap. Yes. Yes. 
I should say sex worker because it's real work. Prostitute is a word that was used in the media back then. And so it's kind of in my brain when I filter through these old articles. So yes, thank you. That's really important. No, but seriously. And then like, but then they associate like, oh, this was a they used prostitute, they used that word. And then they just assumed that this person is lesser than because of that. But when they turned this body over, they found that it was the body of a girl. And at that moment, they realized that this was not something they've ever seen before. The girl was not has not even gone through puberty yet. And the medical examiner set her age at eight to 11 years old. The autopsy was also revealed that she was manually strangled before the removal of her head. And the tool used in this removal was a long serrated knife. Police noted that this had to be a very specific knife because it was able to saw through bone. The body was drained of blood and yet there was not a lot of blood at the scene, causing investigators to conclude that she was killed elsewhere and then dumped in this abandoned building. Because this is 1983, they had no DNA evidence, but a rape kit showed evidence of sexual assault. Now, this is the part that boggles my mind. There is evidence of sexual assault, but at the time, they couldn't legally conclusively say this. And when you read the autopsy, I'm not going to go into the awful, awful details because this is a real person. But I will say there is strong physical evidence of assault and abuse. I know if this was today, it would be a different verdict on that. And to make this point clearer on her leg they found a red pubic hair and this obviously could not have been hers because she was prepubescent there were signs that this girl was well taken care of and loved by someone her nails were painted and they made a point to say she had two coats of nail polish on her sweater was really nice really new good quality she wasn't malnourished at the time police were just sure that this girl had to be reported missing somewhere and that they will find her and be able to identify her. And then once they identify her, the case would be solved fairly easily. Unfortunately, that is not what happened. There are a lot of kids in this area. There were several schools and walking distance from the home in which the girl was found. At the time, St. Louis's school system was an unorganized mess awful. There were schools popping up everywhere to help keep up with the amount of children in the community. Children actually used to play around the abandoned house in that area. And also in that area, there was just schools, like just all over elementary schools, all over all branches of the same school system just to keep up with the population. So think about this children everywhere, schools everywhere. There are families living next door on either side of the apartments where her body was found. There was even a candy store that a neighborhood woman ran outside of her home where she would have a safe place for kids to buy candy and get snacks. The neighborhood was filled with children and families. So surely the community and the police thought that this would be identified as a member of a community. But as time went on, they were able to account for every child in the neighborhood. Still, police had to be sure. So they turned to the St. Louis public school systems transfer records. 
But of course, as I mentioned, there's a ton of schools. And this is where they reached a massive roadblock. All of the secretaries in this department had been laid off due to budget cuts in the area. As a result, there was no updated database about the whereabouts of the children who were had been transferred to another school. And there were a lot of them because they had popped up so many schools in the area. So it, it's, it's a mess. It's such a mess. It's such a mess that I cannot find like really good evidence of like a map of all these schools because it was just 83. You know what I mean? They just started adding kids to a computerized database and not all these branches of this school had a computerized database. So police, because they didn't have a complete database, they did not have complete records. They had to check each child manually one by one. And they did. They did it. It took police seven months to manually check. They were able to account for every little girl between eight and 11 years old. And everyone was accounted for. And well, everyone was okay. This seems legit impossible. But she was murdered somewhere else, right? I mean, I guess she could have been murdered outside of St. Louis altogether. Yes, the thing is, there's only the one thing because I've got a list of things at this moment. Well, here's the big thing, the big elephant in the room for me. They did this manually. Okay. I have very little faith in humans when we have to do something so computerized and, you know, like name by name on a list. It's just mistakes happen. People fall through the cracks. Also, they were only looking between 8 and 11. There are so many times where these anthropologists misage bones. It happens. It happens. So it's like, what if she was six? What if she was five? What if she was homeschooled? What if in school she had a different name? You know what I mean? Like kids' names change as well, especially if they're in the foster care system, especially if they've been adopted, if they're staying with family, their family might call them one name, their mom might call them another name. And the fact that the records were not being kept consistently, the fact that they did this for eight months, it's commendable. It's good that they did that. I can't even say that word. It's good that they did that. But at the same time, it just was doomed from the start. You know, I think it's the point you brought up about the age being inexact is really interesting because something that I've been thinking about. So you've been talking and you've been giving all these other details. And like what I can't let go of is the story started with we found a woman. And then when the police got involved, you didn't even find a young lady. You didn't even find a teenager. So like I have, you know, I've seen eight nine, 10 and 11 year old girls. And I have never ever 0% of the time saw them and thought, oh, this is a woman. So like, like, so, so, but then your point about the missed estimate on age makes even more sense. If one person is saying eight to 11, now granted, black girls are always aged up as older than they actually are. But when scientists get involved, we gotta at least get close. I just, I don't understand. Like the age thing is really messing with me. That's how the media gets you is they get it, drill it into your head. These sex workers were often young, very young. 
not all of them, obviously. And I'm just using the information that I did because I, I like working with cases about sex workers because their cases are always unsolved and take forever to be solved because they are seen as uncredible, which is stupid. But a lot of the times they are young, if not children still like 17, 16. I had one that was 14 in a case. Hate it. And so, yeah. And so you also have to realize is that she was like 60 pounds. Oh, that's an elementary school kid. Yeah. Very small. Not big enough to be confused for a woman by any standard. I don't understand that because for me, I would look at that and think baby, 100% baby. So at the head of this investigation was Captain Leroy Atkins and Detective Joseph Bergoon. And Leeward Atkins' presence was especially important because he was the first black police captain in St. Louis. And this case was concerning a little black girl in a black neighborhood. Hold on, let me say that again. And people knew that the media was not interested in missing black girls. So having Captain Atkins on the case ensured that the community was going to be heard and that this case would get the attention that it deserved. And as a result, it did. He worked tirelessly on this case and it almost got too much attention or rather the wrong type of attention. The media immediately began to sensationalize and feed off of this girl's death. This was really popular back then, and it still is, where content creators would dehumanize a victim and then use their case just for views. And this is exactly what happened with this poor girl. In 1994, police were contacted by a TV show called Sightings. TV show. (laughs) Sightings was a paranormal TV show that featured ghost stories and psychics you know exploitative stuff that it's meant for entertainment and not for justice from what i saw it wasn't like an unsolved mysteries that entertained but also helped cases in the end you know unsolved mysteries isn't perfect but what i did like about them they were before their time where They'll talk about a case. They'll do these really crappy reenactments. But in the end, they'll give the public vital information. And tell them where to go if they know something. I remember that show. And it worked. It worked. And this other show, Sightings, reached out and they said, hey, they have a sidekick named Noreen Reiner who wanted to touch the sweater and see if she could pick up anything from it. And so in good faith... The police mailed her the sweater. No. A psychic? They mailed the whole sweater? What the what? The sweater was never returned to the police. Noreen claims that it got lost in the mail. But honestly, anything could have happened. You know, the studio could still have it locked up somewhere. It could be anywhere. It could have gotten auctioned off by someone who finds this kind of thing, you know, this kind of grotesque trophy as a thing they want to collect. Anything could have happened. That seems like such a bizarre thing for police to do as a choice. Like I understand being desperate, but why not cut a piece off and just send her a piece? Why would you send an entire piece of evidence on an unsolved case? Like that's beyond or make her come to you. Why would you like, that's the kind of thing I guess, as you would, as you have said already, that would never happen today. I don't like guessing about people's character. I don't know Noreen. I don't want to say, oh, she didn't send it back on purpose. But what I don't like is that there was no apology. There was nothing. 
just, oh, it got lost. And the police are now sure that this whole thing was just used for views, obviously, for for viewership. And But now the sweater with all the valuable DNA is now gone. Even if we did have the sweater, okay, well, now it's been contaminated because this random lady and who else, whoever else was there, put their fingers and consequently their DNA all over this sweater. So it wouldn't uphold in court if they found a, D- you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, oh, well, then you can say evidence has been contaminated now. And look, the police are very embarrassed about this. Like, they've been beaten up about this for, what was this, 30 years now? Because this was 93, 94. And I will say this. At the time, they did not understand DNA. But I watch forensic files, okay? And it was not too long after this or during this time where they were saving these bits of evidence meticulously in hopes that they'll be able to identify someone with their blood and other bodily fluids. So it wasn't like this idea was just like not in existence. You know what I mean? They were always, always, always planning for the future. So I don't understand why they couldn't, as you said, and other people have said this as well, cut a piece of the sweater off and send it to her. Or why couldn't she come to the evidence like I've seen other psychics do on these crappy TV shows and go there and touch it so that way it's not being completely contaminated and it's in a a controlled environment. So, yeah, that's that's crazy. Her name is Noreen, you said? Listen, I don't know Noreen. She could be a perfectly lovely lady. But this doesn't make any sense to me. In 93, the post office, while grossly underfunded always, was extremely efficient. They had an extremely good record of having things arrive and being able to go find it. So, and also the lack of Noreen being devastated about it. You asked for it, now it's lost. Okay, that's fine, but I would expect devastation I've, I, in order to help, I actually did more harm, you know, this is messed up, you know, this, whatever, but like, just like, it's lost. That does not sit right with me from a standpoint of like, you know, I can't disparage Noreen. I don't know her, but it doesn't look good. It doesn't sit well, but we could also look into whether or not she had her to disappear it. You know, maybe it's just something simple that she's a person who is one of those fans of people who murder people and just likes to collect that kind of stuff. Something about this, too. I could not find her name officially attached to this case in any record. I was able to get this information and a lot of this information that I've found for this um, case via a brand new documentary that just dropped last month. It's called Our Precious Hope. And it just got released. And they were able, because like they're in St. Louis, so they were able to talk to the police and the police name dropped her and spilled the spill the tea as the kids say it because no one was saying her name every report i've seen just said psychic and that is not fair you know what i mean like i think that we should know who was the last person to touch it because maybe she still has it what is the race and ethnicity of this lady we're talking about i asked 
because I think it's relevant in that there have been white women in history who have claimed things that weren't true to the detriment of the black and brown people involved. So I, her lack of remorse, her lack of a show of like emotion, any sort of apologetic statement and to just, it's, that's like a really weak argument. I'm not saying the the USPS never loses anything. I'm not saying that. I'm sure I've had one or two things that, but their track record is excellent. And it happens to be this thing that is dang near impossible to solve is the thing that gets lost in the mail. She's written tons of books about psychics and claiming to solve cases that spoiler, she did not solve. So if I'm going to have all this stuff in the show notes on my website so that way you can see who she is and make your own judgment. But officially, this is mine. I didn't like that she didn't come out and talk about this. And the police actually said he talked to her recently about this, asked her again, and she just keeps saying it got lost in the mail as of last year. I believe she's white, but I could not find, you know, the breakdown. So this little girl was buried 10 months after her death. They dressed her in this beautiful pink dress and they had a very small service. She was buried in a pauper's grave and the ceremony only lasted five minutes. It was around this time that they named her Hope and the the detectives on the case were there. Um, just people who worked the case were the ones that were there. Her pole bearers were workers were were cemetery workers they had a reverend there so she did have a nice little memorial and it was recorded and from there the case went cold and of course leads and similar cases were bought up for example serial killer vernon brown was active in indiana and in missouri from 1980 to 1986 he used to prey upon young women and girls and though Vernon never confessed to being Pope's killer, he actually suffered from a low IQ and memory loss. So there's a possibility that he just did not remember if he did or did not kill her. However, Vernon was African-American and had dark brown hair, not like the red pubic hair found on Hope's leg. That was the question I was about to ask, but you got it. You got there before I before I had to ask. Yes. And also, though Vernon did not did strangle his victims because Hope was strangled before being, you know, desecrated. He did not remove their heads. Hope's case does not quite fit his M.O. The reason why Vernon got caught was because he was dumping the bodies whole, you know, in places like in garbage areas and things like that. And so it's like it just did not fit his M.O. To me, this case sounds like a professional. It sounds like someone that's done this before just because of the type of blade that was used, just because of the lack of evidence, the fact that she wasn't from there. It was someone who was familiar with the area. So to me, it, it just didn't fit Vernon. Vernon was a very bad at his job as a serial killer, which is good because he got caught because of that. But this person... Honestly, truly, I think this person's still out there because of the way that he did this. And but I digress. In 2013, due to advancements made in forensics, it was decided to exhume hope. But there was a serious 
problem. Hope was not in the same grave that was indicated by records. In fact, the cemetery at the time was being sued for mishandling the bodies. You have got to be shitting me. The cemetery was just in terrible disarray with people, people's loved ones being buried on top of one another, bones scattered. It was, it looked like a crime scene. It was a crime scene and there wasn't proper markings or record keeping. And so when they went to exhume hope, her body was not there. They found other bodies that just were not hers. And the owner of the cemetery facing this financial ruin and jail time committed suicide. And she was probably the only person that knew where she was buried. But you ready for this? No, no, I'm not ready. How can there be more? It gets it gets better for once it gets better. That's when technology comes in. A group of college kids from George Washington University in St. Louis heard about this and volunteered their own time to use 2D image calibration to find Hope's true grave. Now, I try to understand what 2D image calibration is. These kids went to college for this. My brain couldn't wrap around it. I actually am that kind of scientist. Help. Please help me because my explanation is so rudimentary. It's embarrassing. Go on. Go ahead and give yours and then I'll fill in the blanks as best I can. They use photos taken at the burial 30 years prior, along with aerial photos of the cemetery and technological hocus pocus to pinpoint Hope's body with only 1.3 meters worth of error. And when volunteers and police went to exhume the spot, there she was. They found her. Can you explain that better? Because I said hocus pocus, which is embarrassing. In general, land looks the same over time. And pictures are taken via satellite over time. And so, and those images are recorded. So you can look at a piece of land from a while ago and know what the land looked. And you can find landmarks that you can line up with other photos. So for example, when you see the humanitarian disaster that was Katrina, they show you satellite images of what New Orleans looked like 15 years ago and then 10 years ago. And then, oh gosh, Katrina is even older than that. But like you, they lay them on top of each other so that you can see how the coastline has changed over time, right? It's a similar sort of thing. So they took pictures that had already been taken of it and then they could find landmarks and then see where people were standing. So like a land also has a map, a land map that includes elevation. So if you include it with an elevation map, you can see like, okay, well, there's a little hill right here and then there's a big hill right here. And so where they were standing is in this part of that land map. So yeah, there's a lot of comparative stuff they could do. And also you can use ground penetrating radar. That's actually what I thought you were about to say they did, which is it sends a sound wave into the ground and then the way things bounce off tells you what's down there. This is funny. Hi, my name is Sophia Talley and I failed chemistry in high school and college, but I passed it after getting a 60 point curve. They were able to run isotope tests on Hope's bones, which tested the mineral composition of the bone. And please correct me if I'm wrong, because I had to also do some studying on this. And this would have told us where she lived based upon the water that she drank. They can, it's based, uh, they can tell you the kind of water you drank, 
They can tell you the kind of soil that the food you ate were grown in. They were able to pinpoint Hope's home to the following states. This is a really important part, guys. So pay attention. Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, or West Virginia. So we are still trying to identify hope first and foremost, because by identification, we can then find out who did this to her. And so I have the FBI's website pulled up right now so I can give you the exact posting. Her race is black. She is female. She is aged from eight to 11 years old. However, we discussed that this is just an approximation. She was 4'10 to 5 foot 4 feet tall. They could not tell because her body was incomplete and she weighed 58 pounds. Her clothing that she was wearing was just a v-neck long-sleeved yellow sweater. If you have any information, please contact Detective Sweeney at St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department, Missouri, 314-444-5371 extension 5826 and I will put that information along with Daniel detective Daniel Sweeney's email and if you want to take this case a step further if you want to do something and help find her we actually have the ability to do that at our fingertips we're all going to hopefully if you Hopefully it's holiday season. You might have some time off. I'm going to share a website called Name Us. It is a database that is publicly available where you can look up people who are missing and maybe you can match a missing person's case to Hope's case because I am sure she's reported missing somewhere. It's just the act of connecting the dots. Back in the 83, they didn't have this massive database. If you want to help Hope out, then go ahead and check out the show notes. I'm going to put it in the website. Name us, just a warning. Name us does use photos of actual people. Postmortem. They are not gory. They are there for educational purposes. Just a warning, guys, okay? But I do use that website in hopes of matching up a case to help bring people's loved ones home because it's important. I would say also that you can narrow parts of your search based on the states that were named don't have large Black populations. They don't have large communities of Black people. So it's not like... If, you, if it were Georgia or Alabama, it would be like, well, I mean, that's the whole state, right? But West Virginia, it's going to be a pocket of us. And guys, this is exactly why I think that we can find her. I honestly do believe that she is missing. Someone is missing her. It's just to connecting these two dots, connecting the family with this case. At this point, she would be, so if she was born, uh, sorry, if she was found in 83 and she was about 10, let's say, that would make her born in 73, right? And so if her parents, at that point, people were having their babies in their early 20s, her parents would be, what, 70? But they could still get that closure. They're st- they, they could potentially still be alive to get that like gift of we found her. And this is so important for a family to have a complete family you know, circle to have that closure to know what happened to your loved one. It gives people so much closure. And unless I'm mistaken, there's no statute of limitations on murder. So whenever they solve it, 
they can keep looking and when they solve it, that person can be prosecuted. And that's another thing I wanted to mention. I strongly believe, this is my theory, that she is not this person's first victim or only victim because of the way it was done. That building was abandoned and could have been demolished before she was found. And it wasn't abandoned for long. It was abandoned for a couple of years. No one was sure for how long. And she was only there for five days approximately from the time where she was left there to the time where she was found. That's what I'm trying to say. And I know I joked and I said like that guy was a bad serial killer, but he was like he it's just you need someone with more know how and more planning this it wasn't his mo but the fact that she's so far from home and the fact that that's not where she was killed somebody who's just like oh dang i accidentally murdered a child doesn't have this level of planning i agree so that is the case of precious hope thank you fatima for joining me today it is just so important to get this case out there for more information including show notes where you can find the detective's contact information and her FBI file, please visit www.thedrunkmatter.com slash true crime. And I will have everything in the show notes, including my sources and resources. And now it's time for an intermission. It wouldn't be a knitter mission unless I asked you, what are you knitting right now? Oh, that is a good question. I actually just frogged it in this time. I cast on a hat. I have a custom order for a pair of matching hats for someone to give their parents. And I did the math yesterday when I was tired and a little stressed out. And then I cast on this morning and I knit. I always have to knit a lot before I decide that I've definitely messed it up. So I knit like six rows before I was like, this is too big. So I frogged it and now I cast it on again. So that's what I'm knitting. I'm about to knit a pair of hats to get given as Christmas gifts. So do you do commissions like this online or is it just like with people that you know? So people can contact me um, on Instagram. I'm disturbing the fleece there. People can DM me on Etsy. I'm disturbing the fleece there as well. I sell pieces that I've already knit and finished. I really like doing that because then I can have like whatever idea I want and knit it and be like, ta-da! And like, I never have to like try to reproduce it. It's just like this one of a kind, beautiful thing. But I also sell patterns. So like the hat I'm wearing is called Golden Hat. That pattern's for sale on Ravelry. But like the sweater I'm wearing, I knit, I say I knit it for sport. I basically cast it on and I was like, I want to make every square inch cabled. And then that's what I did. Just also like to congratulate you on your work on Ravelry as well. Your patterns look bomb.com. I don't know if people say that anymore, but I do. What I really love is how much like appreciation they get as well. They tend to get like a lot of love and that's hard to do on Ravelry. I don't know if people realize this, but Ravelry has a ton of patterns on there and a ton of people on there. It is saturated, guys. And so to be able to have this many shares and likes and and people knitting your stuff is a big deal. So I just would like to acknowledge that that is flipping awesome. Thank you. That's a fairly new thing. After I did my live talking about racism, people kind of were like, oh, hey, you're a person who like designs things. And so that kind of was a big catalyst, actually, for people to start noticing my work and making it. So, yeah, 
Thank you. It's it's fairly fresh. Don't just say it's just now. It's 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 been building. It's been built. That's true. That's true. But like, I feel like, you know, this last couple of days has been, it's been bananas. It's it, yeah. Yes. It's been building. And now we're having a really exciting. I'm having a very exciting week. I get to be on your podcast. I'm living the dream, man. My podcast with my really, with my voice, that's getting worse and worse. And I really loved having you on the show. You were great. You were fantastic. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.